Chapter 31. Manure in my wallet. Commences with a quote by King Solomon. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Grandchester is a town about one hundredth the size its name suggests. It is nestled alongside the Little Liverpool Range, about 80 kilometres or 50 miles west of Brisbane, and it boasts a glorious history. In the 1860s, it marked the end of the railway line, so all rail cargo headed west to the vast plains of the Darling Downs and beyond had to be transferred from trains to wagons and bullock drays at Grandchester, a fact that brought it much trade and prosperity until the rail line continued westward. Grandchester once boasted multiple pubs, shops and inns, but by the time my family arrived in 1974, it had dwindled to a proud but tiny village. There were probably 200 people living in the town and the surrounding hills, but actually seeing someone as you drove through was a bit of a treat. Growing up in Grandchester was a barefoot, huckleberry fin sort of existence, which I still cherish. The hills were full of eroded gullies and caves, Fertile soil for my bushranger worshipping imagination. I remember having a sleepover at a friend's house when I was about nine. One of his before-school chores was to round up the family cow and bring her in for milking. It was mid-winter, and the frost was no invitation for my bare feet. After what seemed like an eternity of running through the icy paddocks, my feet were starting to ache. My very thoughtful friend let me in on a trick I've never forgotten nor repeated. Follow close behind the cow, and when she lays a steaming warm pat, stand in it. My plight was so desperate that I took his advice. It worked a treat. I just wished that she'd lay one every few feet so I could have had heated stepping stones all the way to the milking shed. Now manure is an interesting substance. Not only can it thaw frozen toes, it also works wonders as a fertiliser and can be used as a key ingredient in house bricks and mud-walled huts. It provides heat and light when burned, and some say that it will even keep mosquitoes away from a campfire. Left where it falls, it helps to green a field, thereby making more grass for its depositor to enjoy. Of course, the downside is obvious. When you get too much of it in one place, it stinks. The founder of the Dallas Cowboys, Clint Murchison Jr., is often credited with the saying, Money is like manure. Pile it up and it stinks, but spread it around and it does a lot of good. This truth was actually noted way back in 1625 by the English philosopher, scientist, lawyer and author Francis Bacon, who wrote, Money is like muck, not good unless spread. So there you have it. I've got manure in my wallet. You see... It's God who gives us the power to obtain wealth. I believe that he actually created us with an inbuilt desire to obtain it. But, hand in hand with that desire, he also created us with the need to pass it on, so that it doesn't destroy our character and soul. Hoarded money has a habit of making us proud, arrogant and selfish. And we often don't even realise it. It eats at the very core of the rule of life that says... It is more blessed to give than to receive. And you don't need great piles of it for the stench to begin. Whenever we love our money more than we love the people in need in our street, 
or even those on the other side of the planet, it starts to pong. Money, like talents, is a blessing that is best used by passing it on, by spreading it around. So what am I going to do with it? What are you going to do with yours? I guess we need to make our affluence effluent, to let it flow outward. But how? Should we just spend it? That certainly spreads it around, too thinly sometimes it seems. There is no lack of advice on the correct use of money, and there are plenty of businesses, brokers, charities and churches telling us that the best place for our money is with them. In Acts 2 verses 44 and 45, Luke gives us an interesting insight into how the first Christians used their assets that were above and beyond their daily needs. He said, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. That sounds simple enough, but if you've ever given this commune model even the slightest amount of thought, you'll know that it's not as straightforward as it appears. If I were to sell my property and possessions and spread the income evenly between the hard-working yet still financially struggling people in my local congregation, I don't think it would be the wisest use of God's blessings. But am I just lacking faith? Probably. Could God use my act of redistribution as an example to others? Yes. Could it be just the catalyst needed to bring about massive, widespread change in the way thousands of people use their blessings? Absolutely. He's an awesome God. Do I currently have the faith to do it? No. So what's my next option? Maybe it's wiser to pass on the blessings to people in need in a studied and prayerful manner. To try, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, to identify, assess and support genuine needs, be they individuals, families, charities or churches. This sounds much better, though maybe not nearly as simple as the just spend it option. The challenge with this plan is the studied and prayerful bit. And the bit about identifying, assessing and supporting, that takes time. And the more I am aware that every last cent that I have is actually God's, the more I feel the need to be very, very careful in how I spread it around. It was the American industrialist and philanthropist Andrew Carnegie who made the following very insightful comment. It is more difficult to give money away intelligently than it is to earn it in the first place. To pay a tithe on your income and give some extra dollars in the offering plate at church is one thing, but to try to prayerfully and carefully distribute larger amounts can become quite a task. Such an undertaking, in fact, that many wealthy individuals and foundations need to pay people to do the studying, identifying and assessing for them. Each of us has our own pet projects, charities, churches and community groups that we like to support. We have personal criteria that they need to meet before we pass our blessings on to them. If Melinda and I are giving from personal income, then we are able to respond to needs on a fairly swift, though not necessarily impulsive basis. There are very few rules on what we are able to do with our after-tax dollars, so we can easily give where we see needs. This type of giving can also include donations to needs that are not supported tax-deductibly under Australian taxation guidelines. Christian evangelism and direct giving to needy individuals and families are two such examples. However, 
If we want a tax-deductible receipt, then obviously we need to give to entities that are registered to provide them. There's no sense risking problems with the tax office just because you thought you could give more to a need if you avoided paying tax on it first. Most governments give generous opportunities for private individuals and companies to support real needs in both local communities and overseas without breaking tax laws. Jesus clearly told us to give unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. So let's make sure we do just that. Regardless of what personal or government-applied guidelines you follow, remember that the goal is to pass on or spread around the blessings that God has given you. So go ahead, see a need, assess its genuineness, and give, give, give. And you'll be blessed, blessed, blessed. Spreading it around helps to keep the grass greener on your side of the fence too.